Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Hey, good morning. Yes, it's morning. It's still morning in Tulsa. Welcome to this week's episode of the Jesus and Paula Show, featuring Jesus Christ and Paula Price. And I am kicking off today. I'm Apostle Ashley. And also we have on the second portion of today's broadcast, the one and only Apostle Nona Parker will be joining us. Yes, she will be joining us, not in Tulsa. She will be our virtual guest. She will be with us, not just in spirit, but in technology. So tell your friends, we're going live. I believe Dr. Price is going to be addressing today Christians and politics why that needs to happen. But before we go there, good morning, everyone getting online. How are you doing? How are you doing? Let me do this. I love tech. I have to prop, put up my props, my tech props. Um, before we do that, I want to let you know that uh, some amazing things are happening in the realm of Dr. Paula Price. First of all, in March, which is just around the corner, she will be featured on the cover of Charisma Magazine's digital magazine. Big, 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 big deal. And uh, she is featured as a prominent international leader on uh, an authority on the subject of the prophetic and the apostolic. And so it, it was a great interview that she did. You may have heard the interview. They took that and they put it into an article form. And so I believe she'll have a five or six page spread layout kind of thing featuring who she is introducing her to the kingdom that doesn't know her, possibly those of you who do know her but don't know that part of her. And so it it was great she got to address the assessment as well, the challenges that she's faced, and how she said after 40 years of warfare, it's kind of thrilling to be here in this moment at this time for the Lord. And so we're featuring a new product. Are you ready? With the new product? Okay. We're also featuring a new product we talked about last week that we were rolling out in the Spiritual Warfare Boot Camp series. You can tell the warriors, yes, somebody arm us, equip us, give us something to do here. Uh, Okay, give us something to work with. And so I want you to check that out. PIT Rachel has that up on the screen. The first one that we rolled out is the history of prophecy. The history of prophecy. And she goes into, well, the history of prophecy. You can see right there on your screen. You can key it in the search online at ppmglobalresources.com. Hey, Fred Williams, how you doing? And you can see uh, the short description of what you will learn. Now, listen, if you are a prophet, prophet in training, apostle, apostle in training, intercessor, intercessor in training, if you are a dreamer of dreams, a seer, if you're a wannabe prophet and you're not sure if you are a prophet, whatever, you need to download this audio teaching. If you are in our ministry, I certainly don't want to hear that you haven't made it your business to get this information into your hands and then walk around later talking about I need training. Don't tell me how much training you need if you haven't even purchased the training materials that we have. I'm speaking to somebody 
right now. Probably a lot of somebody's. If that's you and your camp and your ministry, please. In our organization, we have the Prophet's Dictionary, the Prophet's Handbook. We have now Assessing Your Prophetic Self. If you haven't read these books cover to cover, don't tell me you don't have training. I'm going to tell you you're right. You don't. You show enough, don't. Show enough. If you're an apostle training, if you're an apostolic hopeful, you haven't read. If you're in somebody else's ministry who has materials and you have not made it your business to immerse yourself, comb through them, take the time, take your own personal time, and not just wait on us to take our time to ready you. No, we're going to do our job. We're going to do due do, do, do diligence. We have self-studies. If you haven't taken a self-study and you're somebody who's a trainee, I don't want to hear it. What you're talking about, you don't know how to do your job. We, we're doing our job, but you need to do your job to ready and to study to show yourself approved. Uh, so that's, that's a, a hot button of mine. It's always been a hot button, but what's wonderful, there's something about this apostleship. This office of the apostle, I'm telling you, it has freed me. I feel free. I feel loose. <laughs> the walk is step, step a little heavy every now and again. But that is a hot button I have, particularly with Dr. Price and those that we train, whether here, near, far, whatever, all these resources and materials. This happens when you are close to the source. See, when you're in the desert, you're like, somebody give me some water. Oh, my God, I'll do anything for a glass of water. What do I need to do, Jesus? I'll move across country. I'll sell my house and my car. I'll do whatever. Then he moves you to the oasis. And you're like, oh, I'm not really sure if I want to get in the water today. Because, you know, it's going to be there tomorrow. You know, it's going to be there next year. You know, the well is never going to dry up. It's the source. It's wonderful. It's great. You're so diligent when you have no money because you need the piece of money you have to stretch. But whenever you get a lot of money, oh, I really don't care. Well, maybe I'll save. Maybe I won't. And see, you can get very sloppy, very sloppy in prosperity, very sloppy when it's an open source. We're open source around here. You could just, oh, and now that there's social media, people feel like they're really going to school. I mean, I listen, but do you learn? We had an honest come to Jesus meeting as the apostles and, well, some of the apostles, well, myself and the prophets, uh, most of the prophets in our prophetic company about where we are, but where we're not and what we need to do to get there. It's easy to measure yourself by the lowest common denominator, which is what you do when you don't want to be great. When you don't want to be great, you find the person doing it the least, and that becomes your standard. So when somebody challenges you, you'll say, well, so-and-so doesn't do that, and they're okay because you don't want to be great. When you want to be great, you take the person of the highest level and say, ooh, I need to, ooh, I need to, wow. When, when you don't want to keep your house clean, we're going to start at home. You always will pick the person that you know that doesn't keep their house clean as the example of why you shouldn't. Well, I grew up in us so-and-so, and they have three or four kids, and they don't have to. You don't pick the person who is handling business. No, no. When you don't want to achieve something, even though you're telling yourself you do, you know you don't because your, your standard is the least and not the best. So when people hold you to the high standard, you're resentful, you have rebuttals, you have comebacks, you have excuses. 
Can I tell you my story? All right. I don't know if I'm talking about you, but I am talking about the old me. And sometimes the old me tries to come back. It really does. You're like, oh, well, you know, and I, but I, but I, and the more amazing prophecies you get, and the more powerful God makes you, you can really think or promises to make you. You can really think that you're doing everything that you should do to be great. Now, that other person who might be a lower standard, that might actually be the highest they've ever been in their life. That might be a huge accomplishment for them. But we're not talking about the word on their life. We're talking about the word on your life. And so to be at the top, I know some people who I've seen study for hours, years, days, months, and eons for their secular career. Can't get them to crack open a book for the Lord. I'm not going to say for ministry, for the Lord. Because we, you, you'll make it about church when you don't want to do something for God. You want to make it about these leaders. You want to make it about all these other things. Whenever you don't want to come up, all of a sudden, it's everybody else's reason and fault why you shouldn't have to. Now, meanwhile, you promised God in your prayer closet what you were going to do. I didn't come chase you down and slap you with a destiny. I didn't do that. That was God. That was you. And so you have got to be mindful and be careful of when you start using the default settings and excuses to not go the extra mile, the extra distance. And I tell you what, you have to die to your flesh daily until you believe it for yourself. And then you know when you have stepped over and you believe it, you crossed over in your soul because nobody has to tell you. They don't have to breathe down your neck. I asked Prophet Angela in our meeting, only under, as the leading of the Holy Ghost, although it's been a question I've had swirling in my mind for months, how many hours do you put in a week to prepare for Sunday school? Now, she only teaches one Sunday school class for one hour. I know it feels like six. She says, I prepare six hours. Six hours for Sunday school. Well, to hear it is like, whoa. You do all of that just for Sunday school? Now, she's deep. She's smart. You know, she could teach off the top of her head in her notes. And still lay us out. We know this. We know this. But the integrity of the mantleship. No, I, I believe she believes in excellence. Prophet Tala, her, her before the garden book looks like, I don't, anybody ever see that thing? Yeah. You feel like you need to buy her a new one for Christmas. Yeah. It is. Tell her it is broken down and the binding is busted, it's highlighted, there's food in it. It sounds like her mom talking about when she learned the Bible back in the day. I mean, just, bro- you can't, you're like, ooh. That book is your best friend. You digest it. You ingest it. See, there are the hallmark signs, the trademarks. Nobody has to tell her to do that. And so for you, wherever you are, whomever you are, if you want to be great and not just great in a career that you feel is going to give you a high dollar return, but the one that God gave you, which maybe that may not be, but if you want to be great, you have got to go beyond comfort and stop using people who are delivering the least as your standard every time you are challenged in not doing your job to the fullness. See, a lot of us think that, hey, I deliver in the end, so that should be okay. But God is looking at, and we were talking about succession, which is how we even got in a conversation. He's looking at your habits, your patterns, your belief system. How many times, and I said this to my trainees and I said this to them, how many times do you actually change the instructions even though you still get the results? Because we just measure results. But the Lord measures the thought and the intent of the heart and the fruit. 
We're just proof. Hey, look, I did it. You asked for this, and I got it. But is that, in fact, what he said? The Lord told Joshua, do not change. You do this the way I gave Moses, the way I showed Moses on the mountain. That's how you do it. What that means is you don't just do what Moses did. You did it for the reasons that I gave him to do it. Because when your reasons change, for example, anybody who has had children, listen, we were all children. So at some point we can all identify to the parents out there in the broadcast and in the room. You tell your child, clean your room. Now, they interpret that as stash everything so it looks clean. But it's all chaotic behind the scenes. Don't open that closet door. Don't look under the bed now. It's like, ooh, what's, what's sticking out? You go to pull one thing out, and it's an avalanche. And the faster they come back, you know they didn't clean. You know they didn't do it. And that's how we like to do with God. Go get ready for your calling. Fine. You want to do everything superficial to look ready, don't we? And then here, open that closet door. Boom! All the toys and tech and books and dirty clothes and dishes and everything that you did not want to deal with, you just wanted to move out of the way, comes crashing in on you. And a lot of people have that in their life. Just stash it, just stash it, just stash it, which is why it takes a long time to get ready for a high office. Now, if you're not doing anything high, hey, you get your 48 hours of training, sit at this desk, enter these songs. Walk this floor, sweep this thing, do whatever, fine. But if you're even doing that job in a high-level location, 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 you will have to go through the vetting process. So a custodial company for the federal building, um, that's a different kind of clearance than for even our building, which has security, versus your home. You could just give us a key, and we can just come in when you're not there and clean. Really? We're going to have somebody there every time you're at my house. That's fine. Thank you. No, thank you. And so you, we, we often want to go through and find the pathway of least resistance to high seats of authority. But that's not God. In fact, there is no pathway of least resistance that is legal in his eyes to achieve High seat on your job. It doesn't matter. I want to be a manager. You want to be a supervisor. You're, you're starting your own company. It doesn't matter. There is no pathway of least resistance outside of obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. You did, disobedience equals resistance. And we think that the trials associated with our proving need to be avoided. And you can't, which is why when you swerve left, oh, there's another wall. And then you try and cut somebody off, like in traffic. Oh, this person's getting on my nerves. Some people are losing their minds, going from corner to corner, light to light, slicing, dicing, cutting everybody off, only to see them at the light. How you doing? You just almost caused three car accidents that you don't care about to still be at the same light. Same time. The other day I looked at somebody, they pulled some mess on the street. I looked at them at the red light and I said, how you doing? Really? And a lot of us do that. In life, 
in our readiness, in our preparation. Who can I slice? Who can I dice? What lane doesn't have the slow traffic? What lane doesn't have the, oh, no, and there's a garbage truck. Oh, forget it. I have to go around them. And how can I? Let me get behind this emergency vehicle that is flying down the street so I can get there faster to do what? The sin of the light. Because you didn't want to leave on time, so you're racing down the street like you lost your mind because you didn't leave on time. I mean, let me tell you something. I had somebody who did not know it was me on the road from my church. (laughs) I've seen some of y'all at the congregation of the mighty. You don't know. And especially now that my car is less conspicuous than my truck. Because, see, my truck was really big. Everybody knew my truck. I couldn't go anywhere. Apostle, you in the mall? I see Brody in the parking lot because there's a truck and it had the grill on the front. I'm thinking my car was in the shop uh, actually before I had to lose it. I got calls from people talking about, Apostle, is your car okay, your truck? I see it. I was at this intersection. I saw your truck sitting on the parking lot. So I couldn't go literally anywhere. Anywhere, people at Walmart. Are you at Walmart? Because I see Brody out in the parking lot. You know I'm in this store. So in the street, people, they would, they, they would know. So now I drive something that is way less conspicuous, and I can just kind of blend in. So I'm on my way to church one day, and the guilty party shall remain nameless. And he's saying, somebody late flying, and I see him, and I'm like, I know that's my so-and-so doing 55 miles an hour in this 40. Shoo! I said, uh-huh, I got you. And I'm thinking, if I was, if I had some light on my car right now, you are under arrest. And even as leaders following the laws of the land, now listen, we all have a lead foot ministry. Let us not act like we don't. I'm not going to tell you I don't eat up the highway on a road trip. I'm like, bye. But we're going to stay with traffic. No, back traffic. <laughs> Roll down. But I went to see Apostle Noda for Christmas last year, 2019, boy. Christmas Day, do you know who's on the highway? No one. Not even the police. <laughs> she said, how did you get here this fast? You know what? I was translated. <laughs> like in scripture. <laughs> and so, but seriously, and so we slice and we dice and we move and we bob and we weave and we take so much pride. So she's from the East Coast. You take pride in being a reckless driver, okay? And so you, and the Lord is like, you almost caused how many accidents in your wake blew through how many lights? Yellow. Well, it's yellow. It was red by the time you almost got to it. You just couldn't stop in time. And we do all kinds of craziness to just get somewhere because we didn't want to leave on time or we're just impatient. I know there are people who can't stand to be early because they hate waiting for something to start. So you're going to walk in late. All the time. Because, I don't know, there's something about having to wait for something to start that's just unacceptable to yourself. And you have to understand why. So in in talking about succession and dealing with uh, the Lord, and he said, no, I'm going after the thoughts and the intent of your heart, that your motives in theater. What's my motivation? What is motivating this character right now? In, In order to be a believable actor, 
you have to get into the head of the character and move by their motivation, or else you're just kind of walking across the stage and saying some lines. Boring, bad acting. We call that bad acting. That's like, oh, that's terrible. But the person who's the most convincing is the one who is completely uh, disappeared into their character, and their character's motivations are their motivations kind of thing. And so in Christ, we're supposed to be a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so the new man is supposed to be our motivation. But that old man does jump up, doesn't he? And, and so with this, I'm coming back to my point about the training. You have got to take it upon yourself to be great. Amen. Great people are not great because they are spoon-fed. Here, G is for great. G is for good. G is for go. No. They are the ones who will tell you, you know what I found? You know what? I was in that e-store, and I downloaded everything that Dr. Bryce has. I've read all the books. So if that's you, nobody wants to hear you crying about not getting attention whenever you have not made it your business to become the best. Period. There are so many ways. I will say it again. If you have not done a self-study from Price University, www.price.university, if you don't even know what's going on and this is your world, we don't want to hear it. We'll pray. We'll prophesy. We'll preach. And everything else is on you. We will be a mentor. We do our jobs at this level. But you have got to, anybody who's watching, in order to be great, you have got to be all in. Greatness requires all in. Yes. You just want to be average, mediocre, then, hey, do life the way you're doing it. If, if you're not already pressing toward greatness, if you already are, keep pressing. Keep pushing. Keep moving. Keep whatever. Just keep on. But if you're not, and this is for whoever is out there crying and whining and blaming everybody but themselves for why you have not achieved what you have fantasized about or what has been prophesied to you. And please don't be the person who cannot be trained, who can't be mentored, who can't be groomed. Every time somebody, a, a wind blows against your nerves, you're out. You're crying. You disappear for like two, three, four, five, six weeks, months, two years. I mean, come on. And then coming around saying that we play favorites. Yeah, we favor the people who actually show up. That's like your job. You get mad at your job for playing favorites with your coworker only to discover you don't come to work. And don't be black, because we always going to blame our blackness on why we get fired and why we don't get hired and why we don't get promoted. But what is your work record while we're talking about it? Well, what's that got to do with anything? See, herein lies the problem. You don't see that that has actually to everything to do with it. So we don't want to hear accusations of favoritism. Whoever is out there running their mouth, this is a prophetic rant right now. Whoever is out there running their mouth or about to run your mouth and blame God's leadership, whether you're in our organization or someone else's, for now there is um, just rank leadership out there. That's true. Then get out of it. Like, why are you sitting up under abusive, terrible leaders? I don't understand that. That's right. Move. find Find somebody better. It's like eating rotten food and then blaming the food for why you're always sick. Well, stop eating rotten food. 
your diet. Change your intake. Change change it. And so God is making me say, I would have to ask him, why are you making me eat this poison? Okay. Or which God? Yes. Come on. Come on. Yeah, she just has to. She's. Yeah. Before we put her on the camera, we have to make sure she's tight and right. Amen. All right. First apostles must be tight and right. And then whining and crying and somebody isn't and I just don't know and it's just because and all that kind of stuff. When I hear people run that mess down, I'm like, mm, we'll see. We'll see. Let's examine your works not being perfect. Well, how about your works not being worked? You know, you're already going for the bell. I can't even blame you. Well, the thing with the thing, as a matter of fact, that fits so perfectly, Apostle Ashley, with what I'm going to discuss today. Yeah, you just fall into it. You know, you stay in God, I stay in God, we'll stay connected. Let's do it. Okay? Let's do it. So, but the biggest issue is that people misunderstand what it means to work with God and to work for God. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about it, much of what people tell you about God has to do with them. True. You know, this is my relationship with Jesus Christ. I'd like to know what his relationship with you is. Oh, my. Or is this a one-party affection, you know, one-sided? What is, I mean, because when you look at all, the man wrote 66 books, and most people can give him 10 folks. Maybe. 10 folks. Now, they can tell you who the big preacher is over here, who is the big minister, who has the biggest turnout, on and on and on. But when it comes to the person, the man Christ Jesus, he's not a man. He's a concept. You know, which is, and so if, you're, if Jesus is a concept, then your work ethic is going to be suspect. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because you have a, it's all about you. When, when people tell me, well, you know, God sent me here to help you, did he tell you my life? Did he tell you what I've gone through? Did he even give you my vision? Well, no, he just told me, no, 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 no. God is as thorough as you will let him be in your life. God is jot and tittle. He invented the word jot and tittle. God is going to take something to the nth degree, or how are you going to keep a planet going? And this is one planet. We're not even talking about all the other planets. But the problem is people have a, 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 a deceived, errant, and often very biased perception of God because of the bias of the speaker. If I'm biased, I'm biased for Jesus Christ. Right. I'm be biased for him because I ought to be biased for the man that I work for. Mm-hmm. Come on now. I, I mean, we work, I work for him. That's like you working for your company and every day saying, I say something, I hate this place. Yeah. I hate this place. Yeah, I got a job, but I'm not going to tell you the name. I won't tell you what it is. I won't tell you what I'm doing. I got a job, but... No, uh-uh. After a while, they're going to tell you what you're, you're not happy here. Don't they tell you? You're not happy here. Suitable position for you. Outside of our four walls. Yes. Here you go. <laughs> Outside of our four walls. And so when I think about um, when I think about it and I think about what we're going to do or how we're going to deal with people, I start with what you think about Jesus, because people have very twisted thoughts about Jesus. Yes, they do. If they had good parents, then he's a good guy. True. If they have wretched parents, then he's a wicked, indifferent God. If they, their parents were in ministry and ministry was wonderful, they can't wait to serve him. 
Mm-hmm. If their parents were in ministry and they were bratty little kids or unhappy little kids or their parents just worked, didn't give them what they thought. Because you know there's always two sides of every story. Yes. Right, yeah, oh, yeah. You ever understand that gossip only knows one side? Mm-hmm. Right. The prince is always on the front and there's always nothing on the back. Mm-hmm. That's right. the gossip. That's the talebearer. So you don't ask for what's on the other side. So if that's the case, then Jesus is a difficult God. Or his, I'm not going to put my child on an altar of ministry. I said, God, I cursed that devil that came up with that because if Abraham could put his grown son, grown son on the altar, boy, was big. You know, we're not talking about a pot. And if he can put him on the altar, I don't want to hear about your little kids that can't keep things straight. You can't even get the kids to clean the room. They may need to go on the altar. Might be helpful. They could be helpful, but you. The point that I'm making is that how people have been formed by the authority figures in their lives, whatever they are, that's how they're going to view Jesus. Because when you come into Christ, the first thing you learn is that He's the cause, but you're not at fault for yourself. Well, God knows, but he didn't know. Mm-mm. And when you, when you mature, people have asked me, Dr. Price, what is God doing? What do you think is happening? And I'm telling you, today we're going to talk about some very powerful stuff. I like talking about powerful stuff, don't you? Yes, it works very well. It works well, and I, I think I can handle it. Yes. So we're going to talk about should Christians be in politics? Should they be in government? And should they be in public office? Now, I went online. And I just keyed in the question and found a site that gave me 21 pages of misapplied scripture. Oh, wow. 21 pages of misapplied scripture to say we shouldn't be in politics. Isn't that wonderful? 21 blind ways to say I'm just on the planet waiting for Jesus to take me away. Lord help us. That's all we're doing. We're just waiting for people to take me away. And then you wonder why people leave Jesus. Because they leave Jesus because you left him. Because any area you don't want God to reign. See, that's the point. The point is you want God to reign over your decisions and not over the decisions of government. You want God to reign over your little problems, but not on the problems of the world. You want God to reign in your family, give you the babies you want, and not care about the babies in the planet. I want God to just reign over marriages and not care about the perverse laws that are destroying his precious institution. And by all means, we ought to stay out of it. Let's stay out of the devil's way until he sucks us in to his sweat. So when they start telling me that, you know, first of all, you know how I behave. I'm like, what? then what does Alpha and Omega mean? What does all in all mean? What does first and last mean? What does beginning and ending mean? What does principality mean? What does God of all mean? What does most high rule? Listen, the most high rules in the kingdom of men and sets over it. Whom he pleads. So he only pleases to set the sinner over it? Come on. I got a bell. I don't know. They took my bell. I don't want my bell. I'm lost without my bell. Oh. We're about to have a calamity. Where's the bell? Hallelujah. The most high rules in the kingdom of men, and he sets 
over it whom he will. The question is not should a Christian be in government, but should God's people be in power? So you get the wrong answers when you ask the wrong question. Because the question is, should God's people be in power? Should the righteous be in power? Should the redeemed of the Lord be in power? See, because if you bring it down to Christian, you got religion, and that's what their issue is. Because uh-huh. yeah. I'm not a religion, baby. I'm redeemed of the Lord. I am an agent of the Godhead. I told him today in my talk, did I not say I'm an agent of the Godhead? What Godhead? The one that rules your God and his head. <laughs> Rules your God in his head. Because everything in life starts spirit first. I don't know. I hit something. Don't work. I'm working on it. Don't work. I'm getting it. I'm, I got it. I got it. I got it. I don't got it. I don't got All right. So the thing that I want you to hear is that I lost it. It ran away from me. You know, and the thing that I want you to hear, which is important to me, is this, that God rules in the kingdom of all his creation. And if God rules, he should rule through lions, he should rule through beasts, he should rule through animals, he should rule through heathens, he should rule through people who hate him, he should rule through people who can't know him, he should rule for fallen gods, he should rule through God's idolaters or idols, he should rule through everything but his offspring. But it's me? What devil convinced them with that? Talk about devil. Honey, Satan was eliminating us. And you walk around all pious because you think hell should do better in God's seat of power and authority than you. I'm going to put the 21 pages of stupid, all out of context. But you know what? That's what you get for letting pastors rule the church. Because God didn't give the gospel to pastors. He didn't give the gospel to um, your preacher. He gave the gospel to apostles and prophets who then were told to disseminate it, hand it down to the church. We are so busy talking about the fivefold, we have ignored the threefold, which is the totality of the ecclesia at work in the planet. And in that is government. Did we know that? Government. I'm going to talk about that today. Should Christians be in government? You're going to love my... Go tell your friends Dr. Price is cutting up again. <laughs> Call him up. Right, right now in this moment. And I don't have a problem saying that anybody that thinks that Satan should be in the seat more than Jesus Christ does not belong to Christ, I don't care how many hours you pray. I don't care how many hours you pray because only that's like can you imagine your own kids don't even want you to win your own kids don't want your family doesn't want you in power how do we end up with this this, this mess up right now the debacle we have saints talking about Christians should not be in government a woman has the audacity God I just love the saints I do. But see, there are times the saints are just unaware, unenlightened, and uneducated. And you need to have grace and mercy for that. It's not their fault that, they, like you just said, that they have a bad teacher, a blind leader. Blind leads the blind. Okay, it's not their fault. So the point that I want to make here is that she wrote to me and she said to me, um, I need you to give me chapter and verse that Christians should be in politics. I said, I'm going to need you to read all 66 books. That's what I'm going to need you to do. Because there's far more voice verses. 
than you can imagine. Right. So we're going to talk about that. But when you look at this circus, I mean, here's a basic thing. I'm, I'm basic. You know, I, I could be basic. First Corinthians 12, 28. And God has said, do a study on the word set. Because when you set something, you, it's not sit. Some of us use set for sit. I sit down. No, you sit down, but you set things in place. And you set them in place to be stable or to stabilize. For example, you glue two pieces together, you have to wait for them to what? Set. And what does that set mean? To become one. To bind it, to become one. Not to break apart, not to suffer. So here we go. And God has set some in the church. First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles. We don't have miracles because we are trying to get them from the shepherds over the congregation. We do get custodial prayer. And we do have God moving miraculously by incident on a case-by-case basis usually. Otherwise, why, how can you have a church of thousands of people and every time you turn around, somebody's sick and dying? So it's a case-by-case thing. And said, after that teaches, then gifts of healing. See, first you need the miracles to get the gifts of healing. Isn't that wonderful there? And then after that, when once they heal, they can help you. Sick people don't help well, they don't think that. They don't, every time you turn around, when they homesick, every time you turn around, too much pressure, my back, my this, my back. I'm in the church, got so many hypochondriacs, it's embarrassing. Okay, and then we have, <laughs> but they always stick out. When it comes time for God to step up, they are, they stick out. I love them dearly, but the truth is, the Bible, well, you got to be fit for duty. Paul talks about fitness all the time. You got to be fit for duty. And I'm, I, when you only get to stick out on me two, three times, by the time you get the third time, I'm going to assume that you are unfit for duty. Because you can't bring your own body under, so how are you going to help my body? I'm gonna, I'm, that's my assumption. Could be wrong. Y'all pray for me. That's all I'm saying. Pray for me and to ask the Lord to tell me something else. And if we have to keep healing your, healing your sickness, that means you and sickness got some covenant somewhere. All right? So then we have that's bad way of government. No, no, now listen, don't, no, and I want you to listen to me, social media, because y'all are good for getting it wrong. Okay? That's right. So let me clarify. There are people who are born with certain maladies. It doesn't mean you cannot serve the Lord. You can serve the Lord from a wheelchair, from a bedroom. You can serve the Lord from traction, but you will serve him in a limited degree. When it comes time for all in, or, or you being able to move and travel and do all of those things, unless you're a unique person and God has something that's so passionate about him, they are unique people. Like nothing can keep them down. They keep, they're going to drag a leg, bring a limb. They are going to do whatever it takes, and they're always there. So you can tell the person who is called and determined. They're there no matter what. And they get angry if you use their malady or their infirmity as a reason for them not to serve God. They get very upset about that. Like, wait a minute. Uh-uh, it's my, how I make it happen is my business. And they will tell you that. I, I may 
not have eyes to see, but I see through Jesus. I may not have ears to hear, but I hear through Jesus. So I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the person who has spent their whole life seeking out on life. They stick out, okay? And so they come to you all full of zeal and enthusiasm, and then as soon as you start relying on them, oh, I'm sorry, ooh, I can't, um, uh, I'm not that woman. And I can tell you about devils hitting your body. Okay, and then, because devils, you don't, I mean, you're not even going to fight the spirit of infirmity, so I know you can't help the people. And then, well, because this is a warfare, and we're soldiers at an army. Soldiers get hit, they get, you know, they have scars, but they don't quit. You know, and those that quit, they were never fit for it, because you can't just be physically fit. You must be psychologically, solically fit. And you have to recognize when you are under attack or when you have a real physical malady and also how to take care of yourself so you can have the fewest options. You know, go to sleep. Stop sitting up on the phone all night long thinking you're talking about Jesus. Go to sleep. Come back. You know, and stop starving yourself to death talking about fasting when you're really dying. Come on. See, a lot of that sickness doesn't have to be. You know, you're sitting there, eyes all sunken and carrying out talking about, I'm just been fasting for the Lord. Not a change in your life. Not a piece of change. You don't pray any harder. Matter of fact, you're a little weak now because you're hungry. Because <laughs> you're a little weak now. Okay? I'm telling you, and then all y'all vegan Christians and vegetarian Christians, I'm not saying God said it, God did not tell you that specifically, but my Bible said God told Noah, when they came out that boat, eat me. So, I don't know, y'all back there and eat all, all of these things, gone. Life begins again at Noah. All of these, that's all. We, we, can, we can tell Satan that you're going to have to go through a lot to find out what they did eat. Okay, because when Adam stole that stole his right to the serpent, everything changed. And that thing put a blood thirst in everybody. Hallelujah. All right. Well, and then we got government. We got government. It says government. Now, you can tell a pastor evangelical mindset because they put administration. Now, you have administrations, you're going to change that in the Bible, and yet you're going to govern by your constitution and bylaws. So it can't be in the Bible, but it can be in your church. Because you have, let me tell you, this is, a, this is a cutting devil. He's been around a long time. He was around before God said, let there be. There was a, there was a serpent ready to be hung up in a tree. So I just want you to know that this is a real elimination tactic, and, and it takes us as apostles and prophets to whom the word of God came and whose mantle and makeup is disseminated in the daily course of life to understand when a doctrine is a seducing spirit or a devil's doctrine. And we think all devil's doctrines are about immorality and perversion, but most of them are about seduction, confusion, and delusion. Yeah. Uh, is this helping you all? Yes, yes. So if government is, comes under 1 Corinthians 12, 28, so Ephesians 4, 11 is the administrative piece. 
how we administrate this government. Here, this is government. And I looked at this, you know, I, I, I like to look at stuff because I don't, I never want to just take it for granted. I just want you to know. And so, and he didn't say one government. He said government, plural. I just want you to know, it says government so that you all can understand. So then, and then we've had people try to teach it now because it is hard to, to understand that you come to Jesus Christ for a different life in a different world from a world that you did not like, did not treat you right, and to find out the man is government. That's hard for people to take. So we'd like to call, we want to pull up all the synonyms. Isn't that something? So it's like Cubanesis, which is what they call it. But if you look at it, I'm doing it in two areas. If you look at it, in, in G2941, it's telling you the Latin origin. Now, we, all, we know all the Latin people, Spain, Spaniards, all of those governments. They have nothing but governments. I mean, come on. Some of the Amara and Karen are. They understand it. And it meant to steer. And then it, it, another word is pilotage, pilotage, A-G-E-S-E-N. And it means figurative. Hold on, I'm going to get that. Hold on. Let me get some water. Because you know you get talking too fast, I get, I get excited. And it actually means directorship in the church. Now, if it's just directorship, then why in the world do we have government and governing organs? So you can tell that we're back here confusing this. I'm going somewhere. Tell somebody she's going somewhere. She's going somewhere. And we're going to get there today. And so when you think about government and the way it's done, you have to remember that these people who um, these people who are running the church, they're also running from the royal monarch system. So they're going to downplay all of the principles just because those principles have been hostile to them and abusive. And they can't separate God from that abuse. They cannot say, well, God's stuff is working. What is wrong with man? They don't know. They don't say that. You know? And so I just, I, I, I want you to see this because, so we're, we're at, now I want, because I'm learning, you know, I'm having fun. The next one under that is, under that one is G2942. And, and so this one here is, is Kubernetes, which is K, just for y'all to look it up. Just go to G, whatever I say, G2942. Let's do that. And it comes from G2941, and it speaks to a helmsman, somebody who is at the helm, a captain of a ship or master. So how do we get administrative out of it, or strictly administration? Administration is an element of government. It's, it's a part of government, but then we got a whole lot of other stuff that goes in it. And so when you look at when you look at government and you look at all of the things that go into it, just for you to understand, now this is, this is just plain old synonyms, administration and management, rule, direction, regime, I like that one, that's interesting, control, supervision, command, authority, authority leadership, supervision. So when he said after that government, these, all these branches come into play. I'm going somewhere. Don't don't get don't get bored yet. Don't, I got something good for you. You don't like it. Okay. <laughs> you thinking that's not happening? 
when you think about government and you look at the root of it, and when I look at the etymology from the, you know, I like these little people. They're not as good as they were when I first started watching them, but anyhow, everybody got saturated with the agenda. Online etymology dictionary. And so I look up the government, and it talks about the act of governing or ruling system by which a thing is governed. Is that powerful? Yeah. A system by which a thing is governed, especially a state. We are the royal priesthood and the holy nation of Jesus Christ. We have to have government. It also includes control, direction, and administration. And it comes from to steer, to be at the helm of govern, rule, command, direct. And it comes from gubernaries, which means to direct, rule, guide, govern. Originally, to steer and pilot as a ship. Meaning, governing power is is in a given place is from 1702. And when you look at this, so I'm sitting here saying, how are you all downplaying this? Because apostles and prophets understand government. Because right. they know that if they don't govern, somebody is governing them. That's right. And if they don't govern what they bring into existence, someone else is governing theirs. So we, we understand that. And so then under that, under governance, is the actual manner of governing. Particularly, the rule of conduct. I thought that was very good. And, you know, and so when you, when you, when you look at this and you look at these, these modern concordances, they, every modern concordance is downplaying the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, the royal priest, the royal meaning ruling. I don't, you know, you have to look up these words. Royal meaning ruling, legal meaning royal. So the very thing they hated, they also decimated and desecrated because they could not reconcile that God's eternal world operated like that. And yet, when you read the Bible, it says it. He says it over and over again. So we're going to get back to my, um, what I'm teaching on today. I'm going to go to the next one. By now, we're, we're ready. Are you ready? Look at all these wonderful folks just kind of flying in. Bless you, look so good. Thank you, you look good. You look all radiant. You better be loving on that Jesus. <laughs> so we're going to walk through this quickly because I, I have a, a wonderful guest standing by who's going to join us a little later. But the question is, should Christians be in government or politics or public office? Well, I've been on a journey about the apocalyptic elect Christians. So the, the third slide, you can see that there is uh, the dove. And in the dove, there is a word cloud for the elect. Don't you like that word cloud? So y'all can't see it because they, they don't have to hooked up. I don't know what y'all say. Y'all don't punish me? <laughs> oh, thank God for the phone. Got it. See what happens when they don't give you memos? You've got to give people memos. They need them, okay? And so if you look, we've been talking about the apocalypse of the children of God and from Romans 8, 19. And we're talking about it from the perspective of we've often said that creation is groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the children of God. I say children, you know, genderism and all that. But manifestation of the children of God, but their word manifestation we found out is apocalypse, meaning revelation, 
meaning disclosure. I mean, I can't even tell you. I am so excited about this whole part of apocalypse thing because Satan has taken to defining the apocalypse as catastrophe and calamity. Right. Yeah. But we are not, well, we could be, because, you know, I'm messing with God's kids. He does cut up a little bit. But, but apocalypse is an unveiling of something that has been hidden, an igniting of something that has been dormant, a triggering of something that is that, that has potency, taking potency to power. Why would creation wait for us to come and destroy it? If we are God's children, and we are, if we're God's children and we're his family and his creation is waiting for us and he subjected creation beneath our fallen state for reason, I cannot believe the reason is for catalytic events, the catastrophe, calamity, destruction. So creation is waiting for us to show up so it can self-destruct or for us to destruct it. I think that's this. Don't you think that's this? We treat it like that. Yeah. We do. And so we're told, but if you look at your, see, I got the little, oh, they got the super clock. Okay. We got the bird up there. We have the dove up there. And in the center of it, I will read the word cloud to those of you who don't have your phone open. Oh, Jesus. Go on, girl. <laughs> I love it. 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 And so here in the center of it is God's royal elect. And then it's all of the words that pertain to is elect, all right? For example, in the up, uh, upper left-hand corner, there is determined, and under that is upper class. We're God's upper class. Jesus. Chosen, elite, voted in. Some sift it out. When we start talking about apostasy a little later in the broadcast, you're going to love that. Made a ruler. Settled in on, enacted and enacted. Royalty, ordained, authorized, declared. Is anybody enjoying it? Yeah. And so, and then we have predetermined choices, the select and called, appointed, invested. Thou shalt receive power when the Holy Ghost. You're going to be invested with power, identified. I like this one over here, rare. And another one. Purpose. Where? And then purpose. Okay? And then we have admitted, admitted to what? Admitted to the reigns of Godhead by being virtual of his being his feet. Material marked, we're marked. Then they say the Holy Ghost fills us to the day of what? Redemption. Put in command. Put in command. Should we be in government? Put in command. Opted for. I thought that was good. Delegated, handpicked, optimized, charged, deputized, endorsed, preferred, adopted. Favored. I thought that one. Favored. To be elected. And so, I, and, I, I went, and then more, you know, the smaller one, because Hollywood exalted is another good one. Then we know that we were exalted, exalted, maximized. We are God's maximum. So why am I saying that? Because identity is the key to destiny. If you have no identity, you will shipwreck your destiny. You will abort your call at 
about 
sufficient. Because that organization existed way back in AC6. And, and they, they were called the Poppers. In my dictionary, the Prophet Dictionary, I cover that. And Poppers is the other word for Pope. That's how we got it. Popper, basically, you understand. So you recognize that Christian was their religion. And in order for them to temper us, to get to get us a knuckle under the, the dominion and the, uh, the power that they had, they named us Christians after the Antiochs, who Antiochus who named us that in contempt. Then at the time is with, with Peter at the end, he said, you suffer as a Christian. But the word Christian is defined as a follower of Jesus Christ. Follower. Now, family. So should his family be a politician? See, that's a bigger issue. So the follower, maybe not so much. But the family, the seed of Christ, the body of Christ, ought to be where Christ is. And he's all in all. My father says he feels all in all. Isn't that what the Bible says? It says he feels all in all. He says that we are his members. An individual in particular. We're members of his body. So I'm going to give you some scripture, and then I'm going to get broad in this perspective. See, I can't serve a Jesus who says I'm Alpha and Omega except in government. I cannot serve a Jesus that's going to tell me I want all of my adversary's children to rule the planet. I can't serve a Jesus like that. See, I can't serve a Jesus who wants to give all of the, the responsibilities, the duties, and the eminence of world government to those who hate him. I got a problem with that. And so it may just be my problem. I don't know. Y'all tell me. I love this man. I'll tell you, I love him. So I'm going to read a couple of uh, passages and then get you into the other one. That's number one, 1 John 4.17, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is in this world. So Jesus is ruling the world from heaven. We're seated in him in heavenly places, and yet he's got a... His body on earth, his body is supposed to be ruling with him. I think that we got it wrong, folks. But a pastor would say that. And I'm not talking about my apostolic pastors, my prophetic. We got some powerful pastors out there. And I love y'all dearly, but I just want you to understand, under that regime, we lost the kingdom, we lost the nation, and we've got to own that. We've got to own that we did this to this man and his kingdom and his house and begin to alter our behaviors and alter our houses and get back in our responsibility. You know, the problem was they don't want to deal with the people that they feel are unclean and unsafe. Like you were like you know, Paul said, I mean get, uh, Peter said, wait, you act like you forgot you want to watch the joke thing. Okay. You act like you weren't nasty. You weren't vile. You weren't perverse. You just uh, your your story is not stopped being told. There's still being told. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government should be 
be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The shoulders are not the head. And the Bible says Jesus is the head, and, and, and we are from the neck down. We're the shoulders. So the government of the planet belongs on his, the shoulders of his body. Devils know it. Demons know it. Wicked know it. Occultists know it. Sinners know it. Why, why don't the saints know? Hebrews 8.2. I absolutely love that. Don't put the first liturgical stuff in there. Hebrews 8.2. A minister of the sanctuary talking about Jesus Christ. I, I absolutely love Hebrews. You know, Hebrews is that book I could probably play over and over again. And my, my trusty little recorder, my, my, my talking box. I love it. So he talks all day long. I got three of them. So when one gets tired <laughs> while he's charging, I'm, I'm playing the other one all day long. Yes, I am. All day, all night. Roll over. I got a piece of scripture in my ear. Hallelujah. Hebrews 8.1, now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set, set, not set, not just seated, set, set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heaven, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched in that man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifice, wherefore it is of necessity that this man has somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests who are serving at the temple. Now, why did I say that? Because the breakthrough for me, you know, because I, I came in the body of Christ believing that same crazy. I believed it because, they were, you know, everything was church, you know. Because the modern modern Christian and the Christian follower is church-centric. They're congregation-centric. Yes. Everything is about the congregation, which can't ever come in the ring. That's a whole other thing. So the word there, uh, in my dictionary, prophet's dictionary, you have, those of you who don't have it, you should go and get it. If you gave it to a friend, go buy another one because you need it. Amen. So many of you all do it because you don't think you're that deep. And then God, God goes and deepens you, and you're like, um, I need answers. Now, where did I get them? Oh, it's in that book you sold. Okay. Liturgos is the word for minister. Now, we understand, just to show you how much they downgraded the potency of the body of Christ, the potency of God's elect, they downgraded to liturgy, which is a little short term. Right. And then we have liturgical dancing. <laughs> in there, in there, uh-huh. Because remember, this, these are all defense mechanisms. These are territorial games, turf wars, where the body of Christ, the offering of the Godhead, is to never know how potent we are, how peculiar we are, what peculiar actually means to God's offspring. Why we're exclusive. We're not exclusive so that we can walk around being uppity, being superior-minded. We're exclusive because there's nothing, no other gene in creation like ours but Jesus. That's what makes us exclusive. We are born again of the incorruptible seed of word of God, the seed of Christ, the very seed that brought Jesus Christ into existence. Once he rose from the dead and put it in himself, he 
foundation of the world. And then we came to earth with him as seed. And we lived that three and a half ministry with him as seed. Just the way those of you waiting to have kids live that don't to live in your life. Those that firm is living your life as seed. And then we went and we put on the cross as seed in him. And then that's why the Father keeps talking about with him, with him, with him, with him. Because we were with him and in him, in him and with him. We were with him because we were in him. And so he, we, we went to the cross. We took the 39 stripes. You know, you get sick, your eggs get sick. You get well, your eggs get well. The sperm gets sick. We go to hell with him. We were in him. We laid in, in, in the, we, our, the solical part of us went to hell. Because that's what he was dying for, soul. The body laid on up, up there in the, in the uh, uh, what is it, the tomb. So he lays in the tomb for three, and a half, three days and three nights. The soul part of us, that eternal part of us, we down there in hell with him. He gets born again in hell because God put sin on his soul, which means all of our souls died with him. And he died for all of our souls that were in him. So now he gets born again, and we're still in him as seed. He comes back to life, picks up his body, goes to God's world, goes back home, because he could never have gone home had he not been born again. That's why we're so exceptional. We are massive. Because if Jesus said no to the cross, we wouldn't be here today. We'd still be on the wheel. Rolled into a wooden wheel because energy came from the coming of the Holy Ghost. So then he goes back home. God expects all the seeds that are in him to make sure that everything was revived, purged, quickened with him, in him. Every organ, every part of him. God, he has to go through inspection, which is what you do with people you put in the power. Inspect them to make sure that they can, that they are at all. God says, well done, accepts the blood offering, the blood sacrifice. He takes the blood back to heaven. Wait a minute, hold on. Then we have the blood in the earth. How to get back to heaven? We were born again. Born again, he had to take the new blood back. And it wasn't corporeal blood. It was the power of an endless life. But it was whatever fluid that he used that he had before he became human and mortal. The Holy Ghost brings that back. And he rises from the dead. The same power. He rises from the dead. He goes, and what does he pour on the altar? He's not pouring. We're looking at a stone altar, a wooden altar, a little wooden table. No, no. He's talking about this cosmic thing that they all had. They got painted and perverted when the cherub cut up. So he lays it up there, and the altar itself is an inspector. Isn't that powerful? The altar is inspecting. That is why it was a big deal that he had all of those years that people would learn to treat the altar right, because they got everything is living, nothing is dead. Not dead wood, it is not dead stone, it is not dead metal. It is a living entity, a living being, and this altar is saying it suitable for me. I don't have to destroy it. And at that moment, this 
spirit, they had many wings. And they traveled time and space to bring the Almighty into this planet. Everything that they have is living. Everything. There is nothing because it's all a type of flesh. Just not death-saturated or death-infected. To understand God's immortality, it means that not only is there nothing in there that is dead, there is also nothing in there to kill you. And thirdly, the most potent part is that every part of that physiological makeup of that immortal being, that angel, that celestial being, is subgenerated. And it's not just subgenerated, it's life emitted. This is a different thing. And that is where God is leading us if we were just, hey, if we just let us. So we get back to this material. And so it says here in Hebrews 2, um, the word is you, and it says minister. So they just call it minister. That's not what it was back then. This Greek word defines one who is a public servant. So Jesus is a servant to eternity's public. He is eternity's public official replicating himself and his public service in humans on earth. Mm. It's our duty to be in government. It's our duty to win elections. It's our duty. It's our responsibility. And we are failing our God, which is what happened when we stopped doing it. We started failing God because other, other spirits and other deities started legislating how life would be through their culture. One who is a public servant and a functionary in a temple. Unmistakably, it defines one who is a minister and worshiper of God who thereby benefits humanity through that worship. And that worship is not just singing and dancing. See, we, we tell you worship is all about you singing and dancing and crying and moaning and sniffing and snotting. Uh-uh. Let me tell you. Stephanie, we think that's what it is, you know. But when you when you go back to Joshua, and Joshua was investigating why they lost a war, a battle, and he he had to do. God told him, He said, "Go, just go find the tribe, and then after that, find the person." So he finds the tribe. But Joshua makes a very strange uh, 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 statement. He said, "Worship God and tell the truth." Yeah. People worshiped before they did anything, but everything they did was part of that worship. They worshiped in their job. They worshiped in their giving. They worshiped in their meeting. They worshiped. Kings had to worship God in their offices and in their position. But I'm going somewhere. I'm going to get there in a minute. I'm rushing. The word refers to one who works in the sanctuary of God as a laborer toiling for the welfare of the people of God. This word is used four times in the New Testament and is important because of the implications surrounding its use. See Romans 13, 6 and 15, 16, Philippians 2.25, Hebrews 1.7. Secular official, ministry officers, the apostle to the Gentile, and angels all fit this category of ministry in addition to the Lord Jesus Christ. So God has a whole government strata, and he has to have human have a him. Because, you know, what are we going to do with an angel? I'm just going to make myself invisible. If I catch me, you can't. <laughs> catch me if you can. Oh. The terrible ministers of Jesus' day were interesting servants. Theirs was a unique mission. Paul's use of the term 
Him for this reason was deliberate as He meant to convey some potent truth about how God's public ministry to the needs and gifts of the church are to be carried out. During Paul and Christ's time, the liturgical service were the ones who performed ordinary and extraordinary service to the public on behalf of the God of the land. Their duties were without fail, faith imposed, and only the wealthy of society could afford to be chosen to do them. What qualifies us? We are a species that never existed before, and thus we are wealthy by virtue of our genetic or our genealogical tree. This group of public ministers financed the annual drama and celebrations of the deity. They sponsored the athletes and professionals' training and their sporting contests as well. The liturgical paid for and supervised the care and upkeep of the holy places and the land and covered all the expenses related to sacred embassy. As temple and state servants, they financed the country's war to the point of even building their war machines, outfitting their military forces, and providing their troops with armaments. Being chosen by the state to do these things, they were recognized by being rewarded with prestige, stature, and powerful influence for doing so. The senators of the land, its nobility, and heirs or heiresses were the ones elected to perform the duty. In the war provisions, the Matrogos cooperated with the strategic generals and provincial governors. This class of prosperous and prestigious ministers worked with the courageous of the day who were specifically charged with this duty. The Apostle Paul's use of the term in the Bible applied to a distinct type of intercessory minister and was to enlarge the church's view on the scope and nature of divine service that some of them were ministers. Does that help you? But you notice it took apostles and it starts with apostles. We can't tell you not to get into God's business. All the earth is the Lord. The earth is the Lord. The fullness thereof, the world is they that well therein. I'm getting here. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. We are his body. So the government is on his shoulders. What do we do with it? I mean, what are we just going to walk around there and help him just carry it like two buckets of water? Yeah. Ephesians 4, 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How are we going to do that? And in Romans 12, 8, for he that exhorted or exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth, he that ruleth, what do we rule? Right. So we treat everything as though it's abstract. Everything. Genesis 49, 10 says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and until him shall the gathering of the people see. So once Jesus came, he brought God's government back to the planet. Now he began that government with Israel. And here's where we get started. These are just other passages I want you to know. Uh, Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. And he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. To the intent that now, that now the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. That word church is ecclesia. God is saying to us, 
Can we just talk about Ephesians 6? So we mentioned all the special that. But again, the fallacy, the power, the spiritual host, wickedness, high places, so they can be in power. And all we get to do is wrestle with them. What are we, like the cosmic entertainment or what? I don't know. Isn't that what we do? We just wrestle with them. God elect, ecclesia equals elect. And so God, Jesus talked about the elect, as I said, 16 times. Only three times is Christian used, and one of those times, uh, one of those times is, is derogatory. Think about it. God never called us Christian, so we're having an argument on a non-issue. It's a non-question. Should, should your congregation be in politics? That might be something else. And you talk about it from the perspective of your congregation. But you're not going to talk about it from the, the perspective of the elect when you read all the 16 references to the elect. And so we have, he said, except the days will be shortened, no flesh will be saved. But I like this one, for the elect's sake. For the elect's sake, God is shortening what could go on forever. He talks about false Christ, false prophets, and all of those things. And he says, but if it were possible, the elect cannot be deceived. Because they were chosen before time to be undeceivable. And they were built, and they were built again through the new birth to be unable to be deceived. And so, and then again, Matthew 24, 31, he talks about gathering his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. I don't know if you're hearing me. So even when we spoke with the elect is not swayed by lion signs or what? The elect can't be because they have a different DNA and genetic print. And it is dark and it is dead and it is wicked compared to us. It's like looking at bugs and flowers or how you, you know, you have the cornmeal and you don't put it up and you open it up again and you eat the little things that are crawling. I remember I stopped eating cornbread after that. My grandmother said, hey, it ain't going to hurt you. You know, back then, nothing hurts you. It could just kill you, but it didn't hurt you. Back then, to take you out. Luke 1817, it says, it shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry out day and night to him, though he bear along with them. God avenges the elect. We're about to see that. Who shall marry anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Colossians 3.12. It says, and you know, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness, peace. So we have a particular character, is that this series is. And then Timothy, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. So we are, that's where our elect is. See? And the elect angels. We're all in that. Come on, that's the family tree. Timothy, and Paul says to Timothy, I endure all things for the elect's sake. That's what he said. He said, you know, he, he said it. He said, and then Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. You don't believe in God's apostle? Dot, dot, dot. 
That's a whole mouthful that defines us. What First Peter two six talking about uh, the, the the chief cornerstone laying in top. Jesus is the first elect. God elected Jesus and then elected us to put him put us in him. In him. Isn't that wonderful? John, the elder to the elect lady. For all of y'all who think that women should not be in ministry, share them a And don't talk to me about her household. What made her house any different from all of the houses on the block? So something made her elect according to John. And if anybody's going to know who Jesus' favorite is, it's going to be John. And she had a sister. The children of my elect sisters, they did. So when we look at this, elect on number 10, it says selected by election as or to be favorite. We're God's favorite. But that doesn't mean a lot until you realize that God favorite has to be like God. You can't favor what has rebelled, what has corrupted, what has turned against him. Why would that be his favorite? So he redeemed us. So before the fall, before the devil messed up, God had already put a special set-aside group of beings in Jesus Christ to be preserved until the day of salvation. So he preserved us in Jesus' body until we were born again, and now he preserved us in the Holy Ghost until we get back home to him. Chosen by election and or selection, chosen to make a choice. That's a good one. Really good. Chosen to make a choice. I guess that's what we say. I decided to make Jesus my choice. Like, he chose us to make a choice when there was only one option. And this ecology divinely chosen by selection and election. So when we think of this, How did we come to this? We were born to it. We were thrust into it. Others were voted in. We were not voted by God. God didn't vote on us. So who in the world was going to be the people who cast the vote? We don't, we don't know. Who, who just, so God just said, I want something. This is how we came into being. So this is how I get to um, end it up. I'm going to wrap it up on this. This is how I, we came into being. God brings himself into being. However long it takes, however many eons it takes for him to discover all of his greatness and majesty and everything. He said, I want one person to be like me that can move around all of my person, all of my being, and handle everything that I have birthed, begotten, increased, multiplied in myself. That was his vision. God had a vision. I know what I'm thinking. He has one. He had a vision for you. Did you ask him? Anyway, he makes one being, and he makes one being, he designs Christ exactly the way we look, because every part of that design is to serve an, an eternal creator, creature, person. So he makes Christ, and he puts everything that he wants to spread throughout all of this handiwork in Jesus. So populations are in him, nations are in him, creatures, animals, birds, you name it, they're in him or either he's in it. Which is kind of like both. But when it comes to the elect, those who will be Jesus' siblings, and that's what you have to read from Genesis to Revelation, he's talking about his siblings. 
them belong to each other. So the, the point that I'm making in closing is this. It is our duty as the elect. I don't know what the, the, the what do you call it, the traditional and the religious Christians are doing. We are offspring of the Godhead. We are God's very family, and it is our job to take care of that business. It is our job to, to put that on his head. That's our duty. And if they didn't just cut the Bible off at Malachi, they would understand that that has always been. Israel was born as a nation. We were born again as a nation. That they, they've been downgraded as a congregation. Hallelujah. Are you ready? I thought that was a good place to just come. <laughs> she said, I don't know if I'm ready or not. <laughs> we need to put back on it. Oh, they're connected. Oh, I'm going to be connected. Oh, Lord. I'm excited. We're getting connected. She's bringing, she's bringing you up on the screen and everything. Look at that. Looky, looky. Hey, I see you. <laughs> How are you doing? I understand. That's how I feel. And, you know, I go there a couple of times and then be mad I got to come back. Like, Jesus, I don't want to go back. He's like, yeah, but you know, he's like, huh? <laughs> they said, they need me to come on back. I was like, I like you here, God. It's so warm and fuzzy and cozy. And, and I don't want to come back. Well, I got to go back. This will be all right. Okay. <laughs> I hear you. She said we need to send me in the earth. I'm not sure what I'm doing, but in any event. <laughs> Keep going up, but you keep coming back. <laughs> <laughs> she said, keep, yeah, I know y'all gonna break me back. I'm halfway there. I mean, like those movies when they, when they just were sending it all of a sudden, get yay. And what happened? <laughs> but um, how are you doing and how's it going there in Joliet in Illinois, Apostle Mona Park?
doing our job and taking on our responsibility and role as God's offspring, as his sovereign elect. Yes, ma'am, I can. I just absolutely enjoyed that. It's just so powerful, so very powerful, and so needed. Things like that are the things that we have to be saying in this time because, you know, we are in a time of great, Making sure our calling and our election is sure. Mm-hmm. That's our calling. Everybody else to be called. I'm calling. I'm calling. We were talking about this apostasy that, that is very obvious. Uh, the church has entered into, the body of Christ has entered into this great time of apostasy. Uh-huh. And of course, we were talking about how. Uh, as much as we knew it was coming, it's still a little difficult to watch. It's hurtful. It, it is hurtful. It's because uh, many people that we thought were, well, okay. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. And so, uh, we were, you, you and I were talking about this apostasy, and I just began to kind of dig into it and things like that, and you know, it is a lot of that going on. Uh, I believe that's the era that we entered into is the era of apostasy. But on the that, it's also the era of apocalypse. Isn't wonderful? And with the elect, we have this, uh, this apocalypse where, as you said, unveiled. Mm-hmm. It's not calamity. Mm. It's not catastrophe. It's an unveiling. God is unveiling or revealing who belongs to him. Very, very obvious. On the other side, again, we're coming to this time of great apostasy. And so, uh, as I was just studying through this, uh, we did a broadcast a couple weeks ago about it, so that's how all of this kind of came up to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're talking about uh, what the apostasy is. And one thing that I found out is that it is an abscess in a box. Hold on. Hold on. It's an abscess in the body. So that goes back to me telling us that creation is what? Biotic. Because it's a being. Oh, my. That's good. Don't worry. I had to take my breath on that.
determines is that deep down on the inside is will access. Okay, and that can affect the bone itself and weaken the very structure of the body because you understand the skeletal system is the thing that holds you up. Oh, yeah, we kind of need that, you know?
know, it's my pleasure. And, you know, he's my honey. I got to take care of my husband and all his stuff. Yeah, I do. Look at the And, um, <laughs> not just roses, but the story. Mm-hmm. I, I watch a lot of shows and whatnot. And um, one of them is like the doctors that 